listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series, a civil engineering, planning, and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. This episode's hosts are Lindsay Beeman, Emily Wyckoff, and Wes Ferrand. Hello and welcome to today's podcast where I am talking with Emily and Wes about inflow and infiltration. First off, Emily, can you tell me what is inflow and infiltration? I think we sometimes call that I and I. Can you tell me what those mean? Yes. So I and I is when stormwater or groundwater enters into city pipes and infrastructure that's intended only for sanitary sewer wastewater. Inflow occurs when, say, a house or building sump pump or tile drain discharges to the sanitary system, which results in an influx or increase of stormwater during rain events. Infiltration, on the other hand, is when aging pipe infrastructure results in groundwater entering the sanitary sewer pipes and manholes through cracks or other leak points in the system. Similar to inflow, Groundwater levels rise when it rains and the soil becomes saturated, so you see an increased infiltration flow during rain events as well. So why does this matter? Well, the sanitary sewer pipes and receiving treatment facilities are typically sized for sanitary sewer flow only. When the flow increases above what the system was designed for, several undesirable things can start to happen. Since residents don't typically have a sewer bill, I mean, there's still that excess sewage going somewhere and someone's paying to make sure it's managed, correct? Yeah, a lot of systems have pump stations and increased flow is going to require that pump to run more often, which is going to require more power, more wear and tear on the system. It might require repair maintenance sooner, cost increase there. And a lot of times that's buried cost because the average citizen won't see it. But it is going to be reflected in the operating budget of the system, and then the operating budget has to be made up with either taxes, sewer user fees, or things like that at some point. Okay, Emily, can you tell me, how do we know that we have an INI problem, or how do we define the scope of this? Well, typically, communities become aware of an INI problem if they have a pipe that backs up or a manhole that overflows, and they get calls about that flooding. Often, they can notice that they have a lift station that is constantly running, or they might get a spike in flow at the wastewater treatment plant during or directly following a rain event. I'd add to that, too, if I may, that sometimes you may have an issue and the community may not even realize it. It's just part of how it's always been operating. You design, you design for mostly just your sanitary sewer flows, but there is a, a factor in there for some peaking that you're going to get no matter how tight you build a sanitary sewer system. But there's excessive peaking that can come, especially with older systems, that is beyond that design level anticipated peak flow. Sometimes you might notice that, like Emily said, in one of those immediately tangible ways, but other times, it might take a study with flow meters or other ways to measure flow during the dry season, base level flows, and then compare that to what kind of flows happen during wet weather event to see what that peaking factor is. And there's some guidelines on what is a typical peaking factor versus what's an excessive peaking factor that would indicate unacceptable levels of I&I. That's a good answer, especially when you think about a lot of the rainfall events we've seen to have over the last decade. I think a lot of system operators and managers can say they can reflect some correlations there. So that's really good advice. Other than knowing you have a problem, how do you go about identifying where it's coming from? You might be able to see it overflowing a manhole, but that's not the exact manhole's problem, correct, Emily? Correct. So it's actually very difficult to know what portion of INI would be from inflow and what portion is from infiltration. However, there are definitely some standard common ways to identify problem locations. Typical methods might be flow metering, smoke testing, 
dye testing and CCTV. It kind of comes down to sometimes what the, as Emily mentioned before, the difference between what is inflow and what is infiltration, part of the INI. Sometimes with flow metering, you can divide up a system into different sections and monitor the flow during dry seasons and wet seasons, and you can kind of see a correlation between those peak flow times when the flow in the sewer is elevated, whether it comes immediately after a storm event. So you can overlay those graphs and that information onto rainfall. And if you see a real significant peak right after the rainfall, or right with the rainfall, then there's a good chance that that's a, an inflow type impact where it's the floor drains or sump pumps or open manholes. We've seen that in the past where there's, uh, you know, manholes that run down through a creek drainage way and there's manhole covers that are off and the creek just goes right down directly into the sanitary sewer. And then also the data can show the opposite or the other side of that, which is the infiltration side, that if that peak is more drawn out, kind of delayed from the rainfall event, it can indicate a lot of times what would be primarily groundwater inflow coming through the cracks in the pipe or even sometimes through dump pumps as they're kind of delayed as the groundwater comes up around homes and gets into those footing drain systems. A lot of times that's a good idea to do a comprehensive look at your INI, both to look at do we have footing drain in a certain neighborhood? Is the pipe an old pipe? So is it going to have a chance of a lot of infiltration coming in the cracks or is it new pipe that's fairly tight? We've done studies where it's just go look for open manholes, things like that. So a lot of times it's going to take a, a comprehensive look at all these different ways to kind of pinpoint where the issue really is. And that helps go to the next step, which is then how do you fix it? I think that we addressed early on the making the dent in this to bring down the INI. The purpose of that is to save money in the long run on downstream infrastructure. You're going to have to spend the save. And when do you start to spend the save? Are there timing implications? When, when does it make sense maybe to start looking at some of these things? From my perspective, it makes sense to look at them if you're seeing wide swings in your sewer flow. If you're seeing lots of high peaks during rainfall or during wet seasons, then it makes sense to start looking at something like an INI study or evaluation to just see what kind of cost impacts that's having on your system. You know, so there's no, no time like the present. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, no time like the present. I think any community that has old sewers, it's worth at least a desktop look at what should we expect to see for sewer flow versus what are we seeing? And does that point to a potential INI problem? And that is pretty easy to do up front. And more often than not, most places have some level of INI issue that's worth taking a look at and at least evaluating whether it makes sense to, like you said, spend a little money now to save a lot of money down the road. And since you're talking about money, Wes, is there money available to help begin this review? The SRF, the State Revolving Fund Program, does consider rehabilitation projects as an eligible cost for their loan program. It's a reduced rate loan that helps bring costs down quite a bit for a lot of communities. There are probably, uh, and I'm not exactly familiar with all the funding options out there, but I think a CDBG, a Community Development Block Grant program out there that will help to a certain level. I'll add two things to that. Sanitary sewers are one of those out of sight, out of mind things that understandably is often not budgeted for routinely until there's a problem that has to be addressed. So it is worth considering identifying a yearly budget for INI maintenance. And even in a small community, a few thousand dollars would go a long way to inspect part of their system and to understand if they have any inflow and infiltration problem areas. And I wanted to add that, for example, the Missouri Rural Water Association, they will actually go out and do smoke testing for free for our community. And a lot of the small communities have and are taking advantage of that service. Something that's really important for communities to know is that when they start looking at their aging infrastructure 
or any upgrades that they know they have to do, it can seem really overwhelming, especially for a smaller community. And so I really want to emphasize that there are several funding programs available for all of this work, whether in the preliminary analysis stage or through detailed design and construction. There are low interest loan plus grant programs that many communities are eligible for. And it's definitely worth looking at. And Snyder and Associates, we're very familiar working with these funding agencies and can step a community through that process and introduce them to the right personnel to talk to and see what they qualify for. Bottom line, it does cost something to routinely repair and maintain systems, but it can also cost quite a bit not to. So here's something to think about. Let's assume you have a pipe leak that generates an infiltration flow of just one gallon per minute. And let's say that, you know, it costs you $7 for every thousand gallons of wastewater you treat. Over a year, that is equal to over $3,500 for that one leak. And if you have one leak, you likely have many more. Now, obviously, a leak's flow rate is going to vary through a year, and each community's treatment costs will vary, but you get the idea. So why not spend the money in the most beneficial way? Wow. That's really impressive to hear, Emily. Thank you for sharing that. I think what I'm hearing is that a lot of communities probably need more education as to why we should be looking at this regularly so we can identify to ourselves how much we could be saving in the future or daily. That's an amazing assessment to make there. Emily, could you give me some more input on when you're talking about CCTVing, smoke testing, dye testing? What are some of those basic principles and what are you looking for? Yes. Okay. Smoke testing would be when you set up a blower at a manhole and you pump pressurized, non-toxic smoke into the sewer lines. The smoke is going to follow the path of any leaks in the system, and it will come out and reveal I&I locations, such as cracks in the sewer pipe themselves, faulty service lines, roof drains, damaged or faulty manholes, or even cross connections between like a storm sewer and a sanitary sewer. Dye testing can be used to identify leaks also and often used to confirm smoke testing results. Because smoke testing, you'll see the smoke come up, but you won't know all the details of what's going on below ground. So with dye testing, colored water is pumped through the ground or into a stormwater system, and suspicions are confirmed when the dye is observed in the sanitary sewer system, perhaps passing through a manhole downstream of where the dye was pumped. To briefly touch on the CCTV, which is closed circuit television inspection. So with this, a small camera is run down the pipe and it takes videos and pictures so you can see exactly what's going on down there. And using CCTV is actually always a prerequisite for pipelining rehabilitation because you know exactly what you're working with before you go in. Awesome. So it sounds like we collectively here have identified sources of our I&I, whether that be direct connections or some accidental stormwater getting into the system. What do we do to mitigate the I&I? So typically, you need to identify a plan that addresses the inflow component of INI and another plan to address the infiltration component. So for infiltration, you want to complete those field investigations, which may include CCTVing. And once you have identified the leak locations, common rehabilitation includes replacing manhole covers, grouting or lining manholes, and lining or replacing pipe segments. So for the inflow component, common corrections can be to relocate sump pump discharge locations so they don't send stormwater into the sanitary sewer system. Or in the case of foundation drains, 
you would disconnect them from the sanitary sewer and install a sump pump to discharge elsewhere. So we've identified some INI issues within the collection system. What are some infrastructure improvements we can make to tackle some of these situations? I think one of the most common that we have, at least especially in Central Iowa and the Midwest area here, is we have a lot of clay tile sewers that have a lot of leaky joints. They're not real watertight sewers because it wasn't really a big issue when they were put in back in the 40s, 50s, 60s timeframe. So one of the primary causes of infiltration in sewers is all those joints, especially associated with a high groundwater table where the water can flow right in. So there are some trenchless rehabilitation techniques and things that can be done inside of the sewer, inside of the sewer system to stem that infiltration, to slow it down, to get rid of a lot of it. I don't know that it's realistic to expect to get rid of all of the infiltration just because there's a lot of little holes in the system everywhere. But what you're looking to do is to make a dent in it, to really knock it down an order of magnitude or more. So some of the things that are commonly done, you can grout the joints with a chemical grout that's pumped through a system into each of the joints and kind of seals up the joint itself. And then the soil surrounding the joint stems the water flow coming in through those joints. Another potential location for water to come into a sewer system is at the service taps. There's even some sealing techniques, grouting and, and lining that can be done up into service laterals. Sometimes a lot of the infiltration comes from those service laterals, which is forgotten about. And causes some complications for getting that done a lot of times because sometimes it's considered the homeowner's problem, sometimes it's considered the city's problem or city's ownership. Sometimes the service lateral is considered owned by the city. Sometimes it's considered owned by the property owner. So there can be some complications in how to address that and sealing up those service laterals, which can be a major source of infiltration if you think about each service lateral in a community times however many homes there are. CIPP is a common lining method to seal up sewers, although its impact or influence on INI is less uh, than some of the other rehabilitation techniques because it does allow water to still travel through those service tap connections between the host pipe and the liner. But it can be done with a couple added components like in seals or maybe in conjunction with the grouting to help seal up those pipes that have lots of joints and lots of leaky cracks and infiltration points along the sewer line. Yeah, that's great to hear. It sounds like you have identified a lot of options for what you said, making a dent in the ultimate issue. I'll add on to Emily a little bit ago. She was talking about some inspection and regular inspection program. The I&I doesn't have to be a standalone target of your inspection. Obviously, if you're maintaining your system really well, you're going to be doing some kind of inspection just in general for the condition of your sewer system, whether it's root intrusions or broken pipes, collapsing pipes, things like that. So a lot of times those inspections and that evaluation will go hand in hand. You want to know if your pipe is collapsing, and if it's collapsing, there's a good chance there's INI to go along with it. And so a lot of times the solution can be twofold there. You can be addressing maybe a structural deficiency in the system, and at the same time also addressing some of the INI in the system as well. You both sound like you've had quite a bit of experiences in helping with INI projects, problems um, addressing the situation. Can you explain to me some of what Snyder and Associates as a firm has been doing related to these projects, uh, project setup, maybe evaluating the need and all the way through construction? So out of our Missouri office, we have a number of local communities that have had to do wastewater treatment facility upgrades due to more stringent permit limits. So what happens is when you start studying the existing infrastructure during the design of that treatment facility upgrade, we do flow testing. We look at how much flow the plant is expected to receive, and we look at, okay, during rainfall events, what kind of INI do we have 
to account for at the treatment plant. And inevitably, in all of the communities with older systems, there is high I&I. Oftentimes, what we do is if there is extra funding available in the project, we allocate a portion to start completing CCTV testing of the system and, if at all possible, start doing lining and rehab of the piping system. At the same time, we talk to the communities about the inflow component of INI, and many times they begin planning to start talking to their residents. I would concur with Emily. A lot of times it does come out of the treatment system design or the overall facility planning for an upgrade to a treatment system because that is where a lot of that work gets done anyway. As you're designing that treatment, you need to know how much water is coming into it, and that lends itself to doing some of that measuring and evaluation. So a lot of times the uh, sewer rehab or INI program will stem directly from that, if at all possible. We've also done projects that just straight come out of, hey, we know we have an INI problem and we want to address it, even though our plant is running fine. So we've come out from both directions. As you mentioned, Lindsay, we've done a lot of it just primarily because that's what is a big issue in a lot of our small communities, especially with old sewer systems. It's a major issue. And so it gets addressed a lot. We've done everything from just a standalone INI evaluation study all the way to a complete system facility plan study, which includes a treatment plant, like Emily mentioned, as well as evaluation of flows and the INI. We've taken that then to the next step, a sewer rehabilitation project or program to address the INI and maybe structural deficiencies as well. And then we've done the construction services along with that as well, because a lot of small communities, they don't have the staff or the skills to manage a construction program like that. Also, along with that, the financial assistance, the applications, the procuring of some of the state loan programs or grant programs, we can assist with that as well. We talk about the need for upgrading our sewer system to meet INI needs. It's probably something to consider recommending to any of our clients that if you're doing any sort of infrastructure upgrade on a street and you're going to be opening that street up, that it's also very relevant to be looking at the sewer system at that time. Definitely. I think if any community is doing a, a large uh, reconstruction, especially of a street, because a lot of times if you can't do a trenchless solution where you're going in to rehab the pipe without tearing up the street, if you do have major collapses or failures or other issues, and the street program is going on to reconstruct the street above it, that is the time to do it because you've already got the street tore up and the access is much, much easier. That's good to discuss because I think a lot of times we hear how Sewer projects become street projects and wastewater treatment plant projects become slip lining projects. And it's not out of the lack of need. These things are all related to each other. And and that's where if you had that, like Emily suggested, the annual look-see within your system, you might have a better awareness of what is coming. So you're not maybe caught off guard all the time. I encourage everybody I talk to, especially in small communities, that if you don't have a regular televising program or inspection program of some sort to evaluate your system, you're missing out. Because then if you don't know what state your sewer's in, you don't know where you might see some uh, significant savings and you're going to miss out on opportunities, especially if you're doing a street program. And you have maybe Third Street and Fourth Street both need some work and your CIP planning, you're trying to figure out which one we should do. And you just pick one out of the hat and it turns out that you pick Third Street, but Fourth Street really has major sewer issues. Well, if you knew that, that can weight your decision and play into what might take a higher priority because you're going to see some cost savings by doubling up on projects like that. That all ties nicely into a lot of the discussion we've had on previous podcasts about capital improvement planning. And it sounds like through regular televising or maybe even including investigations within a capital plan, 
then you'll have a better idea of, like Wes said, what streets need to be addressed and is it more than just a pavement matter and what the wastewater plant might be doing in five years. It sounds like that ties nicely into a regular conversation, capital improvement planning, looking ahead, being aware of your city infrastructure. Do any of you have any closing thoughts on any recent projects that you really had a good success story to tell? We had a small community where we were looking at doing some sewer rehabilitation and through the televising program discovered a water line that had been bored through the sewer had subsequently corroded and was bumping directly into the sanitary sewer. That investigation and the subsequent repair of that cuts a city's water use and as well as their flow to their treatment plant by a, a third. So uh, amazing impact that would not have been caught unless for the investigation and the review and evaluation of that project. Another success that we ran into with a sewer rehabilitation program that was for I and I as well as just structural deficiencies in the small community. We had planned out the worst parts of the city to do some rehab. And with the city's available budget, we were able to do half of the, the city's sewer system, the rehabilitation program. And it just so happened that when we got our bids back, that the pricing from the contractor was very competitive and the city was able to add an additional lining length. And so the city now has about three quarters of effectively a brand new system and had tremendous impacts on the INI downstream. Whether they got lucky or it just uh, worked out in their favor, it was a, a success for how that one worked out. It made a big difference in their INI to their pump station and up to their plant. I think a lot of communities can see being aware of their INI issues as part of their insurance policy, because when it rains, if you have an operator that can't sleep or leave town because rain threatens to back up into someone's basement. That's the kind of risk that as a community, you, you don't need to put on your staff and your maintenance crews to be concerned about all the time. That's mitigate those risks for your own benefits. Yeah, there's definitely overtime costs associated with that, as well as staff retention, I think. <laughs> if you've got a system that your staff can never take a break or have a vacation or a holiday, it's hard to keep good people with stuff like that, too. Something to consider. Very recently, we have a smaller community in Missouri that some leftover budget for a wastewater treatment plant upgrade was used to televise a large portion of the sanitary sewer infrastructure. Well, some of the main lines leading to the plant were found to be filled with debris, like over halfway full. And since being cleaned out, uh, several locations where they were having manhole overflows has been mitigated. And so... That's a nice result of that CCTV effort. It happens more often than not where you can see an immediate effect of stuff like this. Hey, look, remember that manhole that we always had to deal with? We haven't had to in the last few storms. I don't think that's an uncommon occurrence. Thanks, Wes and Emily, for joining me today. I learned a lot about inflow and infiltration and what our clients need to be aware of for planning ahead, prevention, maintenance, reducing elimination, you know, just overall the financial side of things, as well as the public outreach and the services Snyder and Associates has to offer. It was really great talking to you both today. Thank you for listening to Snyder and Associates podcast series, a civil engineering planning and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. Find content related to this episode on snyder-associates.com.